in case you're wondering, Baker Mayfield's pregame. This was reported by at Sooner Scoop said to the Baylor players, quote, you forgot who daddy is. I'm going to have to spank you today. <laughs> Official 40 from Soonerscoop.com. Featuring site publishers Carrie Murdoch and Josh McQuistian, along with videographer Eddie Radosovich. It's the unofficial 40 on Soonerscoop.com. All right, we are back. Carrie Murdoch here with you, Josh McQuistian and Eddie Radosovich. And uh, yes, you are you are uh, correct in assuming that uh, news team has us. We assembled on Saturday in Waco, so much so, guys, that we made the uh, national broadcast. Kind of proud of uh, proud of that fact. Uh, way to go, Eddie! It's pretty cool. I was in the right spot at the right time, and actually, out of like dumb luck, it ended up being pretty big. So, should we tell the story behind the story on that? Just as far as as far as. Uh, how much Baker knew was going on oh, or I don't know I don't know I, I think that could uh ruffle some feathers around the <laughs> athletic department I think we should just uh leave it at that okay we'll just leave it at that yeah we're, we're he, gonna just leave it I'll say this he knew exactly what he was doing and he knew that I was standing out there recording all of it and you weren't the only one there were no, other people no, there, in the media yeah I mean it's it's before the game you can you can pretty much and especially a place like Baylor uh they don't have much of uh I would say Baylor doesn't have very many rules, but I don't want to get into that. But okay. It, they, 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 were, don't, they were very hospitable. Yeah, they were. Pizza and was bad, but they were hospitable. The pizza. And we have a good we have a good friend there, Kellen Coleman, yeah, no, they, that they, worked at OU. They do really well. I'm just saying that they don't really care where you go on the field before games. Some places well, that's like, you OU have has like, made this stupid policy, and I hate it, that, that unless, like you, if you, you have a sideline pass, but you can go down. You, you're on the field anytime you want to be. But like right. me, if I have a press box pass, I can't like go down there with the camera and take right. photos. Like right. when we went to Ohio State, people probably remember. Like I was down there as the players were getting off the bus, doing photos uh, as they were warming up on the field, as they were coming out of the tunnel for the first time. And I ran back up to the press box and made a little pregame photo gallery, which I thought was really cool. And like at Baylor, I could go do the same thing. But like at OU. Like, I can't go out and take pictures of the players when they're doing their walk and stuff like that. It's just, I think it's dumb. Well, and reversely, I can't even go up into the press box before games. So, I mean, it's, it's weird. It's really weird. You have to have, like, a combo pass and all of that. But, yeah, right place, right time. And it turned into something bigger. And I thought it was absolutely hilarious. And here's the thing. What's funny about that, and this is really what I was talking about, the the inside, the stuff. Like, Eddie and I didn't exactly know that he said that stuff. No, I, I had about, no idea. Because I didn't, I didn't listen back to it or anything yeah. before I posted it. I thought did it was just... Did you hear what he was saying on the field? Or did you think yeah, you heard and I, it? Yeah, and I took out some... Like, I edited the video on my phone to take out some... Vul, some vulgar stuff. I don't, and they were going back and forth from either side too. Yeah. It wasn't just Baker. It I was mean, some, yeah, some John back. College and forth. guys being college guys yeah. talking some shit. Yeah, and so you were just making sure it didn't have anything horrible, like in vulgar. Yeah. yeah, and then we put it up, and what happened was, I think I don't know for sure, but they're just the biggest name, so they got. But Bleacher Report was the one who transcribed the whole. Uh, you forgot who your daddy was. 
I'm going to have to spank Just classic, you. classic trash dog. Which Baker is standing there, you know, in a midriff. <laughs> just being Baker, which his look. I, Josh, I don't know what you think about Baker's look. But just the whole belly thing is just, it's weird. It always has he, been to me. He's on the Ezekiel Elliott, uh, you know, fashionista kind of movement. The uh, the midriff showing. I, I Maybe and it's I've because never, we're I, all bigger guys and we're like, nobody wants to see that. Yeah. So maybe, maybe that's why we're all uh, opposed to it. See, I've always thought like Ezekiel Elliott's thing was weird too. Like, and it probably because I, could, I grew up in an era where that was the popular thing. Like Jamel Holloway back in the 80s. That's what guys did. They tucked it up under. Like I think PJ Mills probably did that back in the day. Uh, but it's just you're not used to it. You don't see it that much anymore. Defensive guy that does it for OU is, and, and I will say this: who I'm getting ready to say, he looks about as good in a. I uniform. know who you're talking about. Kenneth Murray yeah. looks exceptional with the with the midriff. <laughs> I, and that's about as as non homo as you can get. Oh, it's homo. <laughs> It, but okay, but it's then okay to embrace either way. It. I like it. I think it you don't looks want to good. have sex with him. You just think he looks good in a uniform, right? Exactly. It's okay to say that it looks. It looks good. As I've and gotten sir, older, I've been I've become more comfortable in saying that's a handsome man. When I see a handsome, like when I see Matt Leinert or uh, Jesse Palmer or Matt uh, Leinert, Brady Eskimo Quinn brothers with Blake Griffin. Yes, Blake Griffin, not even in his class, handsome wise. I don't play. I don't think. But no, when you see those guys in person, you're like, yeah, that's a that's a very handsome. It's man. a very handsome fellow. But so, he look Kenneth Murray looks great in a uniform. I'll say that. So, uh, I think we were we were talking the inside of the story was yeah that we just didn't know. And then when Bleacher Report put it out there, or not Bleacher Report, Barstool Sports put it out there, it just blew up huge. And then because as soon as you put it up, ESPN was contacting you like, can we have your authorization to use this on all our platforms? One day I'm gonna just be like, no. I don't think so. You wanted to say no. Yeah, no. And I said, no, put it on the Sooner Scoop account and then tell them to use it from there. And they did, and it blew up. But that was that was top top 10 trash talk right there. I, I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. And my mom was texting me during the game saying, they've just mentioned you on TV. Yeah, was, see, that's where I have to jump in. That was the thing, because obviously you guys are at the game. You're not watching. I'm at home watching the broadcast. And I'm sitting next to Tiffany and we're watching, I'm watching it with my in-laws and <laughs> all of a sudden they're like, and this according to Sooner Scoop or something like that, but Sooner Scoop clearly gets mentioned. Obviously my, oh, we my played in-laws it in the open. You couldn't hear it. Unfortunately, I'm sorry. Oh, okay. And you, you like, you can feel my, my in-laws are like, Oh, that's amazing. You know, like they're, they're like, Oh, you know, kind of like almost congratulating me before they've heard. And they're like, I'm, you forgot who daddy is. I'm going to spank you. And like the most not trash talky way ever, like weird white guy reading something he's never read before. And so it was so bad. It was almost like he didn't know. He, he didn't know what he was reading. Yeah. I don't think the it was guy like somebody that did handed it, it to him. Because like at, at Sooner Scoop, I don't know. It was very weird. I'll play it for you again. Here, here is the, the, the mention of Sooner Scoop at Sooner Scoop, which was kind of weird too. Uh, he didn't even mention it was on Twitter. Apparently, people just walk around with ats in front of their names now on birth certificates. Uh, but here's here's that that uh, moment on the the broadcast: OU versus Baylor. In case you're wondering, Baker Mayfield's pregame. This was reported by at Sooner Scoop said to the Baylor players, "Quote: You forgot who Daddy is. I'm going to have to spank you today." <laughs> 
and see you have to laugh. Not to that. mention that you have uh, what's his name Petros Papadakis doing the, which I've always said we we joked about this for a long time. Like serial killers, that's the voice that is in their head that's telling them to do bad things. Is Petros, Petros? Papadakis's voice? Let's just say I don't think that was the A team. After watching it back. No, it was Bray. I thought Helfrick was actually pretty good. Oh, is that I thought the he other had guy some was? stuff that wasn't bad. Helfrick is uh, the analyst, yeah. Okay. I don't know yeah. why. They don't need Papadakis. Petros is awful. Three people it's just in like a booth cliche is just too much. after cliche. So, uh, so, anyway, to the game, it was the weirdest game you know, that I can remember in quite a while. Just because you know, OU ran seven plays and they were up 21-7. Seven plays and the total time... In those seven plays was barely two minutes. I mean, not three minutes. Like, it might have been three minutes. But you have, like, seven snaps, 21 points, barely any time's taken off the clock. And OU, to me, just kind of got into a mode of every time they snapped the ball, they thought they were going to get a touchdown. It was just, like, complete focus gone Let's just snap the ball again and chunk it down the field and good things are going to happen. It was it was just odd in the way that everything unfolded and especially for them to score on what the you know as as you said the first 7 plays they scored 3 times and it seemed like I don't know if they took a deep breath or what happened defensively. I mean it, that that was obviously the the biggest I guess takeaway out of the night was just how poor they performed defensively and you know I will say that and people don't want to hear this, but Jordan Thomas was playing hurt the entire night. I we I have video of him in the second series of the game going down, and he reaches for his ankle knee area. And after that, it seemed like they just kept picking on him the entire night. Uh, look, I think part of it was defense. Part of it was play calling, though, I thought, from Lincoln Riley. I thought he allowed Baker. You remember those chunks he had downfield? Like yeah. one is Marquise Brown on first down. Second down was some chunk down the field. Yeah. Uh, and then third down, uh, incomplete or something, or he just didn't pick up the first down. But it was like Lincoln Riley, when he should have leaned on the running game, was up 21-7, and he didn't. They just continued to go for big plays to try and uh, knock out blow, basically. And you saw how they started running the ball. Abdul Adams, you start running the ball. Uh, you know, you bring in uh, Trey Sermon, dominates the game, going away at the end of the third quarter. Uh, and if you'd done that throughout the game, Baylor wouldn't have had as many plays as they had. But here's Lincoln Riley in the post game after it was over talking about his play calling. Yeah, and Trey ran well. Uh, I didn't do a good job, especially in the – we hit a lot of big plays in the first quarter. Um, I didn't do a very good job in the second quarter. I, I got a little impatient. Um, didn't put our guys in a great in great position. They made some adjustments defensively, and I, it took me too long to, to catch up. So – I got to do better. We, we ran it well the second half. You know, we moved them up front. Trey was running well, you know, running through a lot of tackles. And really, you know, we really stopped ourselves the second half. We fumbled on the Marquise Brown first down catch. And then uh, I think all, every other drive was stopped by penalties. You know, we and had a chance, obviously, to ice it. You know, if we don't get that last hole, the game's basically over. So, you know, we, we moved it well, but still way too many penalties and, and got to do a better job. And I thought that was it. that was his you know comments like right after the game was over in the post you know they have a little interview room that we did but I thought that was like magnificent that he had already self evaluated he didn't have to go back and look at the film really knew like okay this is how I screwed things up 
as far as calling plays. Yeah, and it was it was interesting because I you've never. I guess you just haven't ever seen that side of Lincoln Riley, and especially after, you know, as a head coach, everything's been good and gravy, and uh, they haven't struggled, and they they didn't really even struggle that much. I mean, my God, they scored 49 points, but at the same time, it they, they could have won that game by two, three touchdowns, and even late, despite everything in the way that they played defensively, uh, you know, they... You take away you you take away a couple holding calls there late in the fourth quarter, and they probably do win by two touchdowns. The holding but they calls didn't and, do, they didn't break Baylor. They, no. I mean, you're a team that's zero and three. You get up, you know, twenty eight ten. Then you have a chance to get up thirty five ten. But you give Baylor life by them. They look the first long touchdown they hit. That was a perfect throw. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, Josh, bring you in because you did the Monday morning idiot. The the that first throw. Here's the, the criticism is. You don't get a pass rush on Zach Smith. That's your biggest problem. But he makes a perfect throw. Was that to to Mims, yeah. that first one? Yeah. And then the second one was a total bust in the secondary. Jordan Thomas uh, and Steven Parker had terrible communication with you know, a two-receiver set on the, on the boundary. Jordan Thomas hedges and thinks he's going to come up, I don't know, to cut off a slant, or maybe he thought you know, he would jump in front of a pass and get an interception. But he just—it was a plat that he just let run behind him, uh, and just completely busted, and that was terrible. I mean, that—that's the one that I look at and just say, that was horrible defense, Josh. Yeah, it clearly because the problem was is no matter what you're talking about, whether Jordan Thomas let his eyes lead him up to the receiver that you know that Baylor was trying to bring him in with. I mean, like you said, they ran that little underneath route underneath him. And he either jumped to that, and he clearly shouldn't have. Because Stephen Parker was right there. Or he thought there was a switch, but you look at that switch. Why the hell would Oklahoma make a switch in that situation? Like, there's no question to me it had to be Jordan Thomas's error. I just don't know what error he made. Like, I, I can't decide which one it was. But, I mean, it was so bad. And it was just – that was kind of the deal all night. And I thought, you know – then there's no way to argue it. Like Eddie said, Jordan Thomas had an injury, obviously had a bad night, but the people that were like, oh, he's just not, you know, he's not trying, like the guy was working hard. He made Mims work for a lot of those catches, but some of it is the stuff that we've talked about for years, guys, going back, for some reason it always seems to come back during Baylor when Oklahoma had the whole Julian Wilson game. You would see the same stuff this night, when Oklahoma would have third and four, they bring three, and Jordan Thomas is eight yards off of Denzel Mims. Yeah. Well, they just run a little, little uh, a slant, and it was oh, like that's not on Jordan Thomas. He can't do that, and you can't tell me that's Jordan Thomas's decision to play seven yards off. He's a corner. All those corners want to come up and play man press. And you know, they, I guess they did get off the field on some third downs, but you you look at the overall stats. They were nine for twenty-one. Baylor was two for two on fourth down, and uh, I, they just couldn't get off the field when it, when it, when in the second and third quarters when Baylor was really making it a game and uh, even you know at the, I guess the beginning of the fourth quarter but it was it was a very weird feel it was it was one of those feels that you know especially when Baylor comes out of the gate in the second half and even kicks a field goal to take the lead thirty one twenty eight it's like you kind of figured that OU was going to answer but you didn't really know how just how just because of how things were playing out. And, you know, I'd be lying if I didn't say, and it kind of crept into my mind, like, my God, the meltdown that will ensue if they lose this game. 
Well, it, I'm sitting here looking at the play-by-play chart, just trying to kind of... It, it was just a disaster. I mean, it was just... This team played like an undisciplined team against Baylor. Well, I, that's so the thing that's penalties. troubling. The penalties, uh, there were drop passes. The, the, the decision for the onside kick, I mean, that... It didn't work. I mean, it, it was almost executed, but it didn't work. And for... You know, whatever purposes Lincoln Riley decided to do that, it would have been great if it did work. But it was like, why is Oklahoma trying to do all this stuff to Baylor? I mean, it's Baylor. There, and people are gonna, you know, people after the game are like, well, that Baylor team, they shouldn't be undefeated, you know, or they shouldn't have lost. They should have won. They shouldn't games. be defeated. Yeah, they shouldn't be <laughs> zero and three coming into that thing. I don't. I don't think Baylor's gonna go out and beat a bunch of people moving forward. I think. I think. Oklahoma didn't play well. They made Baylor look better than they are, and that's concerning to me. I don't think Baylor, I don't think Zach Smith is going to have another game like it. It's kind of like with Texas Tech and Pat Mahomes. It's like, yeah, he was a really good quarterback, and he, and he looks like he's going to be a good NFL quarterback, but he didn't do that against everybody he played. Yeah, he was 12 for 34 against Duke. Yeah, and three interceptions. The I guess the one thing that the defense you can't come out of it saying though is is they were missing a lot of guys. They need to get they need to get healthy. Getting health getting this week it's cliche to say but the the bye week couldn't come at a better time. You need to get guys like uh you know the guys even the guys that play Jordan Thomas and uh and Stephen Parker they're they're going to probably be okay in the long run in the scheme of things but uh, you know, Curtis Bolton, he got a little bit of pressure early in the first quarter. He's in a boot well, in the second half. Well, and he's their blitzing linebacker. I mean, yeah. he's the guy they bring in to try and bring pressure from a linebacker position. And he got hurt, missed the entire second half, and all you're left with is oboe. And, Josh, I know you you, you know you do the Monday morning idiot. You go through every play. You watch it. This narrative that started about, OU needs to, to rush oboe and stop dropping him into coverage, I watched the whole damn game. I see. I tend to notice when guys drop into coverage. He he. I'm sure he did drop into coverage. I haven't gone back and just and and charted every play. You do that stuff, Josh. I mean, I don't. If it happened more than five to seven times of him dropping into coverage in a game, I would be shocked. Well, especially in third down. That to me, that's where you really because it's first and second. You're trying to mix it up. You're trying to show them different things, and you've got. You're just trying to me, especially against a team like Baylor. You're just trying to get them to a third down situation where you can pretty well dictate what they're going to do. If it's third and three, they may run, they may you know they may pass, they can do a lot. They have a lot of options at that point. But if you can get them to third and six, third and seven, then you're kind of forcing their hand. Especially you know we talked about uh, obviously the struggles Oklahoma had, but if you look at it, the difference between the games that Baylor used to beat Oklahoma with and the, and the game Saturday night. It was the fact that OU did so well against the run. That didn't used to be the case. Baylor used to gash Oklahoma, and Oklahoma was great against the run. It was just they were getting killed through the air. So uh, I think that was part of it. Now, you know, I did the breakdown because it was something I wanted to see because I kept seeing people talk about it, and it crossed my mind a couple times. You know, Oklahoma felt like they were being passive on third down and dropping a lot of guys and giving Smith time to look around. And so I thought, well, let's just do the numbers on this. And – Three times all game did OU rush three people. That means on third down, Oboe didn't come three times out of tw- what Eddie said, 21 opportunities. So that's that's not crazy. I mean, like people want to, like 
they look at my stats, and I did, you know, th- they brought three. Okay, they did it three times. They brought uh, four, I think, 12 times. And then five and six were like two or three apiece. So, I mean, they, that was real small. You can't do it every time. You can't blitz six people every time, or it's going to be really easy picking, even for a young quarterback. So, so you've got to balance that out. 85 plays is what Baylor ran. Yeah. So out of 85 plays, OU rushed three twice or three times. Well, on third down. Like, on th- I didn't okay, do every down. play. But, I mean, you might say, at most, you're talking seven or eight plays. I mean, Oboe's not dropping off. And they're bringing – because, again, if they're if the only time Oboe's not coming is if they're only rushing three. Okay, 21 I mean, that, third downs. They, they face 21 third downs. So yep. three times out of 21, mm-hmm. they only rushed four or three. And there was a yeah. couple times that, you know, I I thought that Oboe was coming, especially up like through the A gap or something. He just didn't get there. It looked like he no, was. No, 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 you're right. You're little, right. He looked like he was in slow motion a couple times. Well, and I was talking to Gabe Eicher on the field after the game, and he said the exact same thing. And you looked, he pointed it out to me, he goes, look at his leg. He said something was wrong with Oboe. He look, he's been, he's looked like he's been running in mud all night long. And he had some type of wrap on his left, like shin, yeah. uh, you know, calf. I mean, I don't know what. I mean, it was very humid. He could have been cramping up all night. It was very hot down on the field. And, and all these sounds like excuses and stuff, but I kind of tend to think what Mike Stoops said after the game has a little bit of credence in that uh, they've been going at it for nine weeks, especially with the, the extended uh, preseason. And it's an excuse. I know it is. But at the same time, I mean, they need a bye week to, to recharge the batteries, I think. And uh, what better time than, than now before they really get into the meat of the Big 12 schedule? Well, and, you know, one thing they have figured out is Kenneth Mann can get to the quarterback a little bit. Back-to-back uh, games. He's he's a guy. I don't know. I, I, I'm i trying to think. I mean, who was the other guy, Josh? There was Calvin Thibodeau, uh, and there was another guy, a defensive interior guy, in like the 2010 season. When they, <laughs> you're thinking of price making. Price making is who I'm thinking of. Like <laughs> Kenneth Mann is so price making. Like you don't notice him at all. Uh, nobody talks about how good he is. Then you put him in a game, and all he does is make plays for you. That's who I, I think. That's who I think of when I watch Kenneth Mann. To me, I mean, like when you look at what a a three four defensive end and the way OU wants to play it and their scheme. He's what it should look like. I mean, maybe okay. Don't get me wrong. Like, sure, could he be six five and have a little more length? And yeah, okay. But like, he has some burst. He's shown some ability to get after the quarterback. And he's. I don't think there's any question. The strength of his game is is in run defense. But if he can create some pressure, guys. Somebody brought it up the other day. He's already got more sacks than DJ Ward, and he's probably played a third a of the snaps of a at snaps, most, probably. Yeah. So I mean, he—he's like showing some dun, signs dun, dun. of life. <laughs> and then you add Amani Bledsoe to the situation. I mean, Oklahoma's defensive end. Who would have thought that maybe at defensive end, Oklahoma has their deepest unit on their defense? You remember last week, Eddie, when Mike Stoops was leaving? We talked to him, and <laughs> yeah. I just—I didn't want to. I, I kind of wanted to ask. I didn't want to ask him with a microphone in his face. So he's walking off. I just said, "Hey, Mike," because uh, somebody had asked him about Amani Bledsoe. I said, "Hey, Mike, does who who does Amani Bledsoe back up? Is it Neville or is it DJ Ward?" And I said, "Or is it both?" And he basically said, "Yeah, he could do either one," which makes me think that DJ Ward, you might be second team. Yeah, when OU plays Iowa State, because is, is I think DJ Ward's done some really good things, but 
he's good for about one or two plays a game. Like, he, I'm not saying that he should he sucks and he shouldn't play. What I'm saying is, if you can split time and let him come in and just go 100 miles an hour every time, maybe you can get more plays out of DJ Ward if you've got Amani Bledsoe in there too. We talked to Neville Gallimore about it last week, just in the fact that. Uh, you know, he, he was talking about adding Lampkin after, you know, him coming back off the suspension and uh, for the third get for the Tulane game and then uh, adding Amani Bledsoe this week uh, or this com- coming up this week. Just the fact that they haven't reached any of their, uh, I guess, their ceiling at the defensive line group. They are getting much, much better with adding Lampkin and Bledsoe full time. It's going to be um, it's going to be very good for that defensive line. But they do whether I think whether it's Mark Jackson Addison Gums, maybe you need to push him a little bit. You've got to find somebody that can be a little bit of a specialist for you as an edge yeah. rusher. And especially to, to if you don't know what the situation is with Curtis Bolton. And look, you might you might not be as good in the run game, but on third down, and who knows, maybe Imani Bledsoe comes in and, and is great at that. And, and heck, that solves their problem if he is. But I, I don't know if there's a huge deal if you take Mark Jackson and put him in there for DJ Ward on on long yardage situations. What's it going to hurt? DJ Ward's not really getting home all that often. It will yeah, and it will be it'll be interesting just in the fact that I'd noticed that they added Mark Jackson at Sam Backer on the depth chart last week as well. That was pointed out on Twitter, so maybe he will, he will get back on the field more. Or maybe yeah, maybe you take that I mean, here's the thing like you almost have to take Caleb Kelly out of the game to put another edge rusher in, like have a have a double edge rusher over there with Oboe or something. Caleb Kelly is in. It seems like, and Josh, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this, but it seems like he's in a very weird spot right now. He made he made a lot of plays, but it's all coming from the backside. It seems like, and I think you pointed that out during the Monday Morning Idiot. He's everything is wide. Like there's nothing. It doesn't ever feel like the play's coming to Caleb Kelly. He's either you know, fighting off a block and having to string it out along the side. Like, it's it's kind of weird. And he made my hot 11. I thought Caleb had a good game. It's just, I, I don't know, like, you don't see those moments. Like, I felt like we saw last year where he's just knifing through a block or something and, and getting to the backfield. Like, I haven't you're seen that. that. I don't know. You're, you're seeing well, that I don't from, know why. You're seeing that from Kenneth Murray now, but you're not yes, seeing it from him. You're right. You're right. Um, I think it's just, I mean, he's not playing on the inside. He really is an outside linebacker. Who doesn't have interior runs responsibilities? Yep. It's like, you know, if there's a jet sweep or if there's a, you know, if if a, somebody's running outside the tackles. I mean, he's always involved in those plays. But yeah, I mean, he's running things down instead of he's just not positioned in the middle of the action. But you know what? Their run defense has been fantastic. Yeah. No, they have. So it's hard to bitch about, you know, that they're not doing this or not doing that. It's been like. I would say it's almost been three quarters in which they've been haven't been good defensively. And you know what? When Emmanuel Beal's gone, then you know Caleb Kelly next year can say, "Hey, I want to I want to play a position where I can make more plays. I want to play the will." And and they would let him. I mean, if you had Caleb Kelly and Kenneth Murray a year from now as your middle linebackers, my God, should be very good and led and by he- the best position coach in the country. Odd. And who I'm about to bring up is the perfect segue from Eddie. Emmanuel Beal's playing really good football, guys. Like I people, told you people guys don't this from the beginning. Yeah, I've told you this from the beginning. And and 
The Emmanuel you, bill you and hate I, stemmed from the board. But you, yeah, I mean, Josh, you and I had an argument, like in one of our earliest podcasts this year, that I thought Emmanuel Beal was a guy that you couldn't take off the field, and if it meant that Caleb Kelly had to go You're to the right. bench, and you you didn't call me an idiot or anything, but you strongly felt that that was a horrible decision. I did. I remember the exact conversation. I was strongly against it, but he's I, – I, I didn't notice him at all against UTEP, but since Ohio State, he's – He's arguably arguably been Oklahoma's best linebacker. It's like, you know, both Kenneth Murray and Caleb Kelly are better than he is just as athletes. Sure. But he is the best football player between those three right now. He has a little bit of dog in him. He doesn't mind sticking his head in in a, in a, in a tight spot. Uh, Emmanuel Beal. Yeah. Which is, and he's, he's a really, I mean, like, when, when I say really good athlete, like, he covers a lot of ground does, at yeah. linebacker. He had a play... Uh, Baylor had run off tackle. It was one of the few times Baylor got through the first line of defense. And the guy, I thought he was going to turn the corner and Beal beat him out there and, and knocked him out of bounds. It, I think it ended up being about a four-yard carry when it probably was 12 to 15 if he doesn't get there. It's bizarre that we're sitting here and everyone on the board and all Sooner fans are so distraught over the defense Yet we're all sitting here for 20 minutes now talking about how much we love this defense or aspects of this defense. <laughs> they just got to be better. I, you know, like I, they're, they're not. They, this is like right now, point blank statement. I'm going to say this defense is better than it was a year ago, even after that crap, you know, that we saw. Oh, I don't think there's any Bayer. doubt. It's yeah. a better defense. There than were it was there were a year points ago. last year where I did not believe that they could get a stop. They couldn't get off the field on third yeah. down. Now, this year, you at least, it's like, well, if they throw to the right side, Motley can maybe break up a ball. It was awful, but they were still just 9 of 21 on third down. I was, I I was mean, surprised a to year, see that. A year ago, they would have been like 18 of 21 or something. They would have been, realistically, probably like 16 of 23. And probably you, you maybe get pushed to the brink of getting beat. And, you know, I guess that they were in a way, but that also had to, there had to be a lot of, uh, I don't know if it's lucky, but I mean, they had to recover an onside. They had to go through a two-minute drill to score. They had to get a, a holding call to get the ball back. I will say this: I I see why OU's coaches were so complimentary of Baylor's coaches. I thought their defensive coordinator was really good. Yeah, he did a lot of good stuff in that game. Oh, they have, I mean, Baylor. They got what five starters back last week. They're not lacking for talent. Like that team that has, maybe those guys are going to make that big of a difference. Maybe I'm being too harsh with the whole they still suck. They're not going to yeah. beat anybody stance. But I mean, you just watch that team. You look at them. The eye test. I mean, seeing them down on the field, that's as good looking a football team as I've seen all year, including Ohio State. They got some dudes. There's no, there's no doubt about Receiver, that. I mean, they blow everyone away. The Mims guy's really good. Yeah, that's a he's an NFL first rounder. Like he he's special. Did Josh? Well, they'll jog my memory. Actually, was he a, was how, was he a highly rated guy? I don't really remember him coming out of high school. He wasn't. He was a big time track guy, and I think was uh, I won't claim that I know his story real well because OU kind of peripherally talked to him, but it was never that serious. So I didn't follow him that closely. But he was a guy that was a big time track guy. Kind of came on late in recruiting, and a lot of people noticed him. And you know. It's one of those things you look back and you're like, he's six foot four and he can really run. How hard was that evaluation? Yeah. You know, like, and it's, I mean, and, but th you look at it through the years, that's the kind of guys Baylor has killed it with. You know, guys that, 
people, for whatever reason, they liked one guy better or another guy better, or you know, this guy was more well known early on, and then they just took that guy and were like, "Yeah, we'll beat you with the faster guy," and that that's that's what they did. Um, but God, Carrie, you were talking about Baylor and how many games they're going to win. Their next three weeks are at Kansas State, week off at Oklahoma State, and then home to West Virginia. That's <laughs> God. That I mean, it's going to be really hard. They might not, not have start zero and seven. They might be back to doing uh, Wildcat quarterback full time yeah. by the time they get there. I I mean, and look, I I think Zach Smith's a nice player. He's got a good arm. Actually, looks taller than he did to me a year ago, uh, but. He he's not mobile. Mm-mm. I mean, if you can get, pre- it's going to be really interesting to see when they play Kansas State, when they play West Virginia, uh, when they play Oklahoma State. How much pressure can those guys get on them? Because I didn't see a particularly great physical-looking offensive line for Baylor. No, no. There, and there was, I, I guess it, it, it's easy for me to say this, but just from the field level, it looked like there was a couple times. I thought OU was going to get to the quarterback a couple times. I thought Oboe was getting there. And all of a sudden, it looked like he was held, but I don't really know. I mean, it was kind of suspicious that uh, Baylor wasn't called for a hold all night. No, he was called for like seven. Yeah, they were a lot. That was weird. Yeah, I mean, there were definitely times where guys, you know, had Oboe by the shoulder. You saw that oh, just on the game, watching the oh, game. Oh, yeah. P- people kept asking me through the idiot, you know, how many calls, holds did you know they miss? I'm like, guys, there's a hold every single snap. Right, now, right. I know it's a cliche, but that's that's just a reality. It, it's going to happen every single time. The weird part was that every time they noticed a hold in the game, literally was Oklahoma and never once saw one from Baylor. I I mean, at the, but at the same time, any of those calls against Oklahoma, they were right. They were holds. I mean, there, there's no doubt about it. There was one where Drew Samia, it was, um, I think, in the third quarter when OU was trying to get something going. Drew Samia damn near had the guy in a headlock. Yeah. Like, it, it, it wasn't even close. So, you know, that's one of those things where, yeah, I, I understand that there should have been some holds on Baylor, but that doesn't negate that all the ones against Oklahoma were legit. It will be interesting to talk to Bill Beatembo this week and get his take on uh, that performance out of the offensive line because I just looking at your uh your your post game grades Josh it did not seem like Drew Samia had a banner day uh, you can no, tell he, it he, during the game he, it was awful he and it's you know it's one of those things where I thought maybe he was kind of turning the corner I really liked him against UTEP I thought he had a really good day that day I mean you know you know who these they're playing but even so it seemed good since then I He's struggling in pass protection. And he'll have one great play. Like, he had a couple of, where he went head up with the Draymond Jones kid from Ohio State that I think is maybe Ohio State's most talented defensive lineman. And he did great. And then you'd see him just miss. You know, he'd be coming across, and he'd miss a, uh, an easy block. And you're like, what What are you doing? It seemed like he and Ren were having some problems with communication. There was a couple when the Taylor Young kid would shoot a gap, and – it, it looked like they should have had him accounted for if he chose to come, and they just didn't. And he ran, you know, that was the first sack on Baker Mayfield when Young, I think it was on a third down, just ran right down the A-gap, and Mayfield never even had a chance to look downfield. It's interesting because with the offensive line, there was so much competition in camp, and you remember you heard about, you know, Creed Humphrey. Uh, you had They were healthy. You had, you had Cody Ford and – 
uh, uh, Ben Powers battling for a job along with Drew Samia, you know, Bobby Evans. We all know Atlanta Brown was going to be that guy, but, you know, once they started, said, okay, we're going to redshirt all these freshmen and they lose Cody Ford, it's like everybody knows that they have their jobs and there's no one that's going to come take it from them. So it's like they need Cody Ford to get healthy again. So if Drew Samia is playing like that, they can yank him out of the game and put Cody put uh, Ben Powers over there or Cody Ford. I think I think say so. how would that work? Do you think they would slide Powers think, and leave Ford I think left? Ford slides and okay. Powers stays left. Okay. Okay. I thought it was the I, other way around. Is it the other way around? Yeah. Uh, I don't think it really matters. Yeah, no. Those they guys, need, they need they're to get so Cody similar Ford back in on the style. Field. Yeah. I mean, like, Powers and Ford want to walk around with like a bam bam mallet and just hit you over the head. Like they're just na- like violent. They they're just extremely physical. That's where Samia is a little more technical. If anything, I mean, and it was talked about a lot. I mean, the bye week. Eddie mentioned the injuries that are out there. Uh, you know, Will Johnson. I think that there's going to be there, there's a good chance that he returns. I I don't think he's going to. It's not going to be. From what I'm hearing, it's not going to be one of these things where he has to give up football because of too many concussions. Uh, from what I've heard, signs are pointing toward him making a return, even for the Ohio- the Iowa State game. Uh, Robert Barnes, we'll see. I, I the the one concern that I have is probably with Jordan Thomas, and this is going to be one of those things like you should have said it on the board. Um, and this is just kind of stuff that I'm I'm feeling my way through, you know, even before we did the podcast, but. It wouldn't surprise me if Jordan Thomas misses some weeks here. And that means that it seems like Trey Norwood is the guy that they're most comfortable bringing in right away because he he was the first guy off the bench. I mean, Trey Brown has done some good things, but it seems like Norwood is the guy that they go to. It's interesting. I thought it was interesting, though, that, you know, when the game's on the line in the fourth quarter, after Baylor recovers the fumble, they went with Trey Brown on the left side and moved Parnell Motley over. Okay. Yep, that that was that was going to say the same thing. I thought that was really interesting. I don't know if that was just a reaction to Baylor always putting Mims on the left, and they just didn't want to put Trey Norwood over mm-hmm. there, or you know, I guess on Oklahoma's right, Baylor's offensive left. Um, but I so I couldn't decide if they were like, well, we're just going to put our best corner on Mims and just call it good, or if that was, hey, Norwood got beat for the touchdown. You know, I I, I don't know, but I I think it's interesting. And boy, when I've watched. Brown's the one that stood out stood out to me, and you guys know I was always tough on Trey, but watching him in some of the you know mop up duty in late games, he flashes, man. He's got some ability. His, it, his, it helps when you can run the way the kid. That his can. speed, he really yeah, can. His speed makes up for a lot of yeah. you know a lot of issues because I mean we saw him at the ill speed challenge and uh, just the the that was the first time I saw him just go flat out, and I my first thought is I'm watching him. That's like one of the few times in my head. I'm literally saying, "Holy shit!" Like yeah. that guy. Well, it's is not a coincidence. So fast. Two of the three guys that were in that, you know, ill speed challenge. People might, and even even I did while I was there at the point at that point, kind of roll my eyes at this. Like this is really dumb. But at the same time, Robert Barnes, Trey Brown, and Justin Broyles, two of the three have played a you know a good amount of snaps this year. And I'll say, Robert Barnes is the one guy I don't really get a good handle on. Um, I would think that he would be. It was weird. Well, not weird, but I think it might have been telling that Robert Barnes did not make the trip because, to me, that means they that 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 you're close, but they want you to focus on treatment and just getting better. So it, it kind of worries me, but at the same time, 
it kind of makes you feel like they might be close. If they're that concerned about, you know, if, it, if they think you're three weeks out, you're just coming on the trip to get the experience of going on the trip. If you're, if you're day-to-day and you're real close, they, they're more likely to say, okay, let's leave him at home, let him rest, uh, get treatment, so he's close to 100%. I would say, I, I guess I, you could counter-argue that just saying that, you know, they brought Cody Ford, they brought Will Johnson, and I almost think that's like a leadership thing. But then you look at a guy like Matt Romar, he didn't make Yeah, that was list. weird. So I don't, I don't really know how they differentiate who comes and who doesn't. Uh, all right. Uh, so I think what we take from Baylor mostly is stop being a mess, Oklahoma. Uh, run the ball better, especially when you got a lead. Don't let your, don't leave your defense when you've already. And I'm not saying they left them at hanging to dry, but you know when you've scored, you know you had three drives that are a total of seven plays. It's probably best to kind of run the ball, and and Lincoln Riley didn't do that. Uh, but it was just the penalties, the I mean the Marquise Brown fumble. I mean that was you know, contributed to Baylor coming back a second time. You, you, like things that you had to do to let Baylor come back into the game, they did. They got really lucky that Marquise Brown fumble didn't end up being something bigger than what it was at the time. Yeah, because that I mean that a really 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 good team that probably gets you beat. That kind of fumble that when you're moving the ball, trying to get back in the game, extend a lead. And that was before that was before they put Trey Sermon in the game, right? Yeah, that was still in the third quarter. I, I believe the Marquise Brown fumble led to the the 46 yard field goal that Baylor took the lead on, if I remember correctly. That, that's right. So that's right. But basically, you come out of this as a mess. Um, and uh, Baker Mayfield talked about you know just just that game and just how bizarre it was. Yeah, I, I think. I think it was a good reality check for us, um, and it's we, we say it all the time around here: all gas, no brakes. And so you can never let your foot off the pedal, especially playing a team like that. That you know they could score in a second. I mean, it doesn't matter their record or anything. It's it's still a high-powered offense that Baylor's had for a while. And so um, you, you can you can never take your foot off the gas. And, and so I think it, for us, it's just about it doesn't matter who we're playing, what the score is, down distance. You got to go do your job at a high level. And so. I'd say that's the most disappointing thing for us today, uh, tonight, was, was just not, not being consistent enough. And here's a little bit more from uh, Baker on the struggles. Uh, up and down for us offensively. Um, shot ourselves in the foot too much. Um, wasn't my best game, but, you know, I, I don't think any of the other guys would say the same for the first half. You know, we, we established the line of scrimmage second half and we're able to run the ball well, uh, so I didn't even need to throw. And, and that's that's good for me, but um, we need to play like that, you know, physical like that from the get-go. And I, and I think once we settled in and, and realized that, you know, you can't take anybody lightly, uh, I think we, we played better. And I, th- I think the thing that was, you know, kind of troubling for me about the run game early was you have that 99-yard touchdown, from Abdul Adams, and then you still go back into throw it 50, 60 yards down the field mode. And it was good to see. They finally got Abdul Adams going there before halftime. Uh, then he came back out in the third quarter. I thought the, the biggest And look, I understand people say, well, why don't you have Trey Sermon in there more as well as he played? I'm on record saying I love bringing him in in the second half after the offensive line's already beat on a defensive line. So I thought that he should have put him in there. Instead of putting Marcellia Sutton in there in the second half, Josh, I thought they should have put Trey Sermon in there 
to you know instead of him. But then they bring Abdul Adams in after Marcelli Sutton. He starts running up and down the field. And it was close to the end of the third before they brought Sutton in there. And then he really was just ready to destroy that defense. Do you really – I was wondering about that. Do you really think that was the plan? Like, clearly we're going to wait. Like, Sermon's going to be our closer. We're going to bring him in when they're tired. Like, I know it worked out that way, but was that truly what they intended to do? Because it – if so, I, I mean, I love it. It's evil genius stuff. Yeah. But that's ballsy as well to be like, we feel like this guy's a difference maker, but at the same time, we're going to wait until the fourth quarter to actually use him. Like that. That's kind of, you know, we have Clayton Kershaw, but we're going to hold off throwing him till the eighth or ninth. Like, what, really? I mean, and again, I'm not saying I don't really want to make the comparison of Clayton uh, Kershaw to Sermon. But I, I'm just saying from a perspective of you feel like this guy can help you win a game. The game is getting tight, and you're not going to bring him on until the fourth quarter? That's, that's yeah, it pretty would be gutsy. Like, it'd be like taking like Derrick Henry in, if you were Alabama and doing that. I mean, nobody in their out. right mind would do that. You just put Derrick yeah. Henry out there at the beginning and let him go. But, so you think it just worked out that way? Well, what I'm saying is as a true freshman, I yeah. love it. I mean, I, I you know he had one game where he started. He had three carries for negative one yards. That was against Tulane, um, it, and it just it didn't look good. I mean, to me, you your run game works really well so far. Starting Abdul Adams, he's such a good patient runner. Mm-hmm. I mean, he 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 has great vision through the hole. I love the way he that lets he his protects blocks, the ball. Yeah, he lets his blocks and that, develop. I guess that's kind of not well, right? True. The way that he yeah, because he but, had the against Ohio State, right? I, I interrupted you though. He, he's learned. I think. I think that affected him. Like he really is taking care of the ball now. But I just. I love his style to start out a game because he is going to let. He's not running through massive, massive holes like develop it toward as the game goes along. Like when Trey Sermon came in and started running, the offensive line was blowing Baylor off the ball. Like there were giant Mack truck holes for him to run through. It it was very impressive watching it from and I, I I would hope that you know the sights and sounds kind of portrayed this but the holes that that Trey Sermon was getting and he was breaking tackles I mean I yeah. think that Pro Football uh, Focus came out said he had twelve uh, twelve broken tackles, twelve broken like tackles on, carries on twelve carries yeah which is just insane I he had that has to be one of the best fourth quarters or just simply quarters by a freshman running back at Oklahoma ever which kind of almost. I think I we had this the running back rotation pegged just completely wrong at the beginning of the year. I mean, isn't it a bigger story that what they're getting out of Abdul Adams and Trey Sermon as opposed to what they're not getting out of Rodney Anderson? Or is it the exact opposite? I mean, I I will say what surprised me about the running backs is Abdul Adams is better than I thought he was. I thought yeah. he was really good. I thought he was a better than average running back. I'm not saying that he's, you know, all American type, but Abdul Adams could go to any SEC. He could go to LSU and be their starting running back. He's really, really good. I we should. I'm not saying. Yeah, I'm not saying that he's going to be, uh, you know, Saquon Barkley, but he's a, 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 behind a really good offensive line. He can run the ball against anybody. And I suppose we should have listened to the coach. It was like one of the first times that we should have listened to the coaches in that. When they t- they, they said that up he had Abdul a, Adams yeah he time, had a yeah. terrific spring. He carried it over into the preseason. Let's not give them too much credit. They still said, we really don't know who our best running right, backs that's are. It's true. And we're going to find out when the season starts. He has been really, and really good. And they did good, talk though. up Jeff Mead. <laughs> well, 
Did yeah. he? How many snaps did Jeff Mead get? Would you say maybe less than 10? eight? I, I didn't see him. And at six six, he's hard to miss. He somebody I somebody posted on the board that he was in for the Abdul Adams touchdown, maybe the ninety nine yarder. Yeah, the ninety nine yarder. But I can't remember when he was in there. Or <laughs> the maybe perfect he, play. You could be like, we were going to leave you in that whole series, Jeff, all the 99 yards, buddy, and Abdul just took it from you. Sorry, Some Chief. people would say that's a sign. And by the way, did A.D. Miller <laughs> touch the field at all? No, he didn't, but he was in uniform for the first time all year. Uh, he traveled with the team and everything. So, But before we move forward, guys, Kerry earlier rightly brought up that he was big on Emmanuel Beal leading into the season. Can we really talk about Abdul Adams and not give it up to Josh? Because... Who was right there, leading, uh, waving the Abdul Adams pom poms? This guy right here never lost faith, believed he would be the starter. Golf clap for Josh. Thank you, thank I, you. Let's let's just take a moment to accept the one time I'm actually right about something. You can you can pay me royalties because I believe that I'm the board uh, stockholder of Abdul Adams and Jordan Smallwood stock. So, oh, you do. You have some Smallwood. You still have some Smallwood stock, don't you? Yeah, a little bit, a little bit. Yeah. He did have one pass that he could have caught that he didn't. Yeah, yeah that was a, and that was a that was another it was a key like down too. Wasn't yeah, it was. Well, it was. I think that was before the third and eight before they ran the ball with Sermon. Guys, you know something funny. We're having the wide receiver conversation. It just sparked me. I talked to someone kind of close to the Arkansas State program. They are super excited about Dahu Green. They think he's going to be a star. It's. I don't think his talent has ever been the True. question, has it? It's always no. been... I would say Arkansas State doesn't see a lot of people like Dahu Green, though. That's probably True. True, too. Like, Oklahoma yeah. has three of those guys right now. Yeah. A.D. Yeah. Miller, Jeff Mead, and then Dahu Green. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, Oklahoma hasn't always had those type of... It's just that those that's those guys with that size never tend to work out because they, they're not athletic enough. It was, yeah. was kind of weird what happened with... Uh, Jeff Bedette on Saturday, he has the almost takes the opening kickoff to the house. Yeah, fumbles the ball to set up the to lead up the ninety nine to yard. lead up to the ninety nine yarder, and then catches the first and twenty five touchdown pass from Baker Mayfield. But between those two times, it was like I actually turned to Dylan Buckingham, who I was standing with down on the sidelines uh, shooting the game, and it's like, where what happened with Jeff Bedette? Did I miss something? Did he get hurt? And then all of a sudden, he caught. Uh, you know, 35-yard touchdown pass, and the rest is history. But that was kind of weird. Yeah, I mean, his his playing time has been, ever since Ohio State, it has been sporadic, and I don't think it should be. I mean, I think I think you should be planning your offense around two guys, really, in the passing. Well, three guys. Mark Andrews, CeeDee Lamb, and Jeff Bidette. I mean, I think those are... We talk about learning about running backs. I think what we learned about the receivers is those are the three best receivers on this team. And I don't think it's even close. Every yep. time CeeDee Lamb does something incredible, and he had the the catch that he had with the bobble and then ends up, I think it, I don't remember how far it was. I think it was probably 35, 40 yard uh, pass reception, but that was, that was unbelievable. That's just one of the, another one of those plays. It's like, Jesus, he's a freshman. This guy's going to be unreal. It, I, to me, I mean, is there any question that you, you have your five offensive linemen, you have Baker Mayfield, you have whoever you want to start at running back, and then you have Dimitri Flowers and the three guys we're talking about. There's no question that's your best starting lineup. Yeah. That's your best no, 11 agree. that's not I even agree. close. And I'd like to see a little bit more Michael Jones. He's kind of fallen into the in the background a little bit. I'll just say that I just Marquise Brown, his ball security, it it worries me. 
and, you, and his you ability want him to, scoring or stepping out of bounds and his ability to catch balls in one-on-one situations i'm he, not sold on one of the deep balls that you talked about earlier carrie he, it was it. just a flat-out drop yeah i mean it wasn't a bad throw I, I I think that Lincoln Riley and Baker Mayfield can live with that throw nine and there times was, out of ten. There was one throw I remember where he just stopped running. That was weird. And Baker chunked it. it I swear, if he would have just ran all out, he would have had a really good chance at catching that ball. That was really weird. I That was almost like he didn't know the ball was coming towards him. I don't know how you couldn't know that. But it was that was very strange. It was just one of those things where he thought, okay, I'm way down the field. There's no way Baker's throwing it this yeah, far. Yeah, yeah. That, that was the back-to-back plays, Kerry. You talked about him earlier, where Baker threw the deep one on first down, and he underthrew it a little bit. Brown probably should have made the catch anyway, but it did let the corner get involved and at least have a hand in the play. I agree. Yeah, uh, it was a little and then they bit came right back the next play, and literally, as I'm saying, I don't know what's going on with Baker Mayfield's deep balls. He chucks one like 65 yards yeah. down the field, and you couldn't tell from the TV broadcast. It looked like he just overthrew him. But the announcers kind of said the same thing you guys were saying. Hey, it looked like he just stopped on the route there. And you, it from like I said, from what you saw on the broadcast, it looked like he just gave up about the time the ball hit because it was 15 yards beyond him. Uh, let's listen to Baker Mayfield talk a little bit about Trey Sermon, uh, kind of what he brought to the offense against Baylor. You know, how special he is, but especially the point in the game that he came in and took over. Um, you know, at, at that point in time, you know, you wear a defense down to the run game, and we had been doing that, but for him to come in fresh legs and, you know, really break a lot of tackles and make plays, um, he had, we, we blocked, we blocked well, but he also was breaking a lot of tackles, and that's, that's something that he's, why he's so special. Uh, it takes a lot more than just one guy to bring him down. And here's Baker just on the running backs overall. A lot of it, it's just a combination of our, our line, the play calls, and the guys we have. It's, yeah, Joe and Samaje are two very talented and special guys, but the guys we have in the backfield aren't, they're not slouchy either. So, I mean, they're special guys, and no, not everybody knows who they are, and they haven't had the same amount of reps for, as Joe and Samaje did, but those guys are talented too, and that's why they're at University of Oklahoma. And I would just say this, um, you know, we're learning a lot more about the receivers. Uh, guys are starting to kind of separate themselves a little bit. We can talk about when you should play guys and how much they should play. I feel like as long as they stay healthy, talking about Adams and, and Sermon, they're fine at running back. They've, they've got it figured out. And they may have to get in a situation where somebody sprains an ankle or something and Rodney Anderson has to carry more than uh, we've seen him so far, uh, or Marcellius Sutton has to do more, or Demetri Flowers has to do more. But I can't see them having... I feel a lot better about their running back situation than I do I would like if I'm at Oklahoma State and I basically just have Justice Hill. Yeah, and you know I I think that a lot of it goes back to the offensive line just in that Rodney Anderson probably scored and this isn't to take away from Trey Sermon he was magnificent he probably scores on a couple of those plays with the holes that they were opening up in the fourth quarter. I don't know there was some really there was some really good tightrope work he was doing oh, on the well, sidelines. Yeah, I mean that was. Absolutely incredible. I, I and that's why I said I'm not take, trying to take anything away from him because the the two runs that he had on the sidelines and specifically the one that he actually scored on, those were really 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 good. I'm gonna ask Trey Sermon tonight if if uh, Rodney Anderson could have made all the runs that he made. He'd probably say, he'll probably say, say yes. That Eddie but, said that yeah you're nothing special. Eh, that's fine. I think we got to stop screwing around probably for a little bit in the interview room. I think the who's your daddy thing 
it's got a little target on our backs with uh, the administration. Yeah, I mean, we wouldn't want Baker Bayfield to uh, start a Twitter fight with a Dallas media personality <laughs> on Twitter because that was probably our doing too. We like to have fun in the interview stuff. It's just like with the fashion stuff. I think the players enjoy that, but I'm going to say this. Until we get through this bye week and they go out and just, you know, I, I say until after Texas, we probably need to just mind our P's and Q's. I don't think we've done anything outside of the P's and Q's because we could get real weird if we wanted. We get pretty weird as it is. We could get, I enjoy it, and I think the fans weirder. enjoy it, but I'm just saying. Josh is probably wondering what the hell we're doing at practice right now. No, I mean, I, well, I feel like there might be something I've missed because when I think of it, like almost everything you guys do that's been a little off the beaten path lately, everybody's love the fashion stuff. We uh, get, well, we get a little obvious. we get a little side eye from uh, people in charge. Really? Yeah, I, I just I sense it. I pray and ask for forgiveness every night. So Which it should be okay. I, easy because I know some of those most of those people listen to this podcast. What? I'm Catholic. <laughs> I can go to confession, can I? I don't know that you did anything that you need to go to confession over. Well, I did anyways, and especially so everybody on the board. I, I've tried to keep my cursing down this week, so uh, hopefully, you been getting, uh, hopefully your son doesn't listen to it. <laughs> did you get a complaint about somebody's kid? He did. He did. I read it, too. I, it I missed was, it. Uh, just, don't raise, I, just don't raise your son to be a bitch. That's all I'm saying. Oh, God. Jesus. I, it's one of those things... You now have to know have what to things apologize. are intended for. You have to apologize this, for attacking people's kids if this turns into a letter writing campaign. I will attack him if we need to. Well, we know Eddie will fight the kid. We know that's, that's, a, fact. that's, that's what I was getting at. Pounds. That's what I was getting at. He might be a little too big, though. <laughs> the pod is not intended for eight-year-old kids. Just not. like that. That's not the way I think any of us want to do this. I think that's not the way our listeners like it. Like you I don't want to. Yeah, I mean, you have to be thirteen to sign up for a website. Well, the bigger yeah. the bigger deal is There's a whole if, if Silicon the kid can, Valley episode about that. If the kid can understand what we're talking about at whatever age he is, we probably need to get him on the pod. What specifically were they upset about? Profanity, profanity, and uh, uh, showing an image. He said that I, I can't re, I can't recall it because I think it was more of a troll job than than an actual serious statement because probably I mean it, see, it was that's a serious why I say, statement. We that's why very, I say very no f bombs on the podcast because I think most kids will hear a shit or a damn or a hell from their parent. Kids don't need to be listening to this. This is this should be R rated. We are not shaping the minds. By the way, uh, I won't say anything. Yeah, you need to stop. I think I haven't even thought about looking at ratings and reviews until we just started having this conversation. Uh, guys, huge bombshell that came out today regarding the NCAA and college basketball recruiting. Uh, an OSU assistant was involved in it. Basically, a sting operation by the associate, FBI. Associate head coach and recruiting coordinator. Lamont yeah, it's Evans. bad. It's bad. Uh, and it was pretty much determined that one of the kids it, he was recruiting to OSU throughout their doing this deal. I but I wow. This is something the FBI has now set up a support line, a tip line for people to call in and report other things. But the fact that the FBI did this 
this has got to send shockwaves, not through just basketball, but I would think football as well, Josh. No, I, I, that was the first thing that I thought of. And Josh, I, you can expound on it more than I can. Oh, guys, yeah, this is one of those things. I, I'm guessing, obviously, every basketball coach in the country that has any dirty laundry, their their butthole is puckered right now. There's no question. Football, you know, it's one of these things where, and I, and I tweeted about it because this is something I, you guys know. I've beaten this drum for a long time. Football is moving in this direction where they're getting all these sneaker companies involved with all these elite, you know, seven on seven camps. And obviously, Rivals does an, uh, has done Under Armour for years and had, does Adidas now. And I think those are a little bit different, but I'm not going to sit here and act like, you know, there's not some connection between shoe companies and the kids during those events. There are. That, that's just the reality. But I, I think it's like everybody just ignored the fact that, oh, yeah, AAU has pretty much ruined high school basketball and the recruiting process, but let's get seven-on-seven seven going over here with Nike and Adidas. That's going to work out really well. And it's it's going to go down the same route, road, and frankly, it's already started to. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, and look, I don't know how this is going to affect Adidas. I mean, they've got a couple of big schools in football, A&M, uh, Nebraska. I don't know who else they really have. UCLA just switched to Under Armour recently. I, I, I don't know if, you know, can A&M, are they going to go to Adidas and say, look, our contract is null and void because this happened. We can't be associated with you. Uh, I'm sure they could probably get out of their contract if they wanted to. But Adidas, I'm sure, is going to say, hey, this was a rogue deal. This guy went out and did, that, did this without our knowledge. He's fired. We're going to have internal you know, investigations, make sure stuff like this never happens again. I'm sure all that stuff will go on. But, I mean, they were, we're talking $150,000. I mean, did you see that number? Another case was $100,000. I mean, to me, that is unbelievable that you're paying that much money uh, for these kids. And it may, because we've all kind of heard dollar values in football, like what people have said has been and most of the time when you hear dollar values it's nowhere near that type of money but now i'm scared thinking god is it even worse in football i i can tell you i think i've told you guys this story off the air and it's it's someone close to me so i won't put everything out there but there was a major program with a major let's say in the last couple of years a first round draft pick and I heard very particular numbers about it from someone that was very, very well sourced on it. And, I mean, I wouldn't put it in that range, but it was north of $50,000. Yeah. And, I mean, so you're you're talking – and then if you go back to the Cam Newton stuff at Auburn, you know, what that all – Yeah, you heard dollar basically everyone knows yeah. happened and nothing ever came of it. Like, we all just accept that that's a fact and nothing changes. Well, you're in this position with the NCAA where it's like, okay, you know, they get so, it's almost like, you know, people crying wolf. They get so many, I'm sure they get so many people being turned in left and right. He did this and then they check into it and they're just chasing their own tails. I'm sure the FBI will find that out now with this tip line. Like they've probably got a call already from some assistant, you know, at New Mexico that turned in Utah for something he heard that they did and probably really has no evidence or any truth to it. So I'm sure the NCAA just kind of hit a wall at one point and was just like, what are we going to do? We can't we can't police all this stuff. We can't. It's like when the Laramie Tunsil stuff came out. It's like there's no 
there's never it's always taken a smoking gun in order for something to happen with the NCAA because they just seem to be so overwhelmed. They're out of their depth. This is not what they do. But you come down to the FBI and, and how telling is it that the FBI didn't even tell the NCAA that this was going on? This, this wouldn't have gotten done if the NBA, if the NCAA was in charge of this. They needed the FBI to get involved to actually put some feet to the fire, I think, and actually make progress. In, in, in I mean, we're talking about hidden cameras and stuff oh, like that. It's, and- it, it, it makes me excited thinking about <laughs> the wiretaps and the FBI getting involved. And the, even the FBI, like on the, the Facebook feed today during the press conference, it was like, oh... They got that. They know this. Well, and it's and like, shit, there are some people that are going to be. And now you see some reports out of uh, Louisville uh, saying that there is more big news to come. There's a lot of people speculating that Rick Pitino is going to step down in the morning. Uh, it's it's tremendous. And I yeah, can't wait some, to see somebody like Rick Pitino burn in this fire the, that's the about to come. The thing that I found it was interesting is like, I don't know if there was a coach one or a coach, but like the coach, it went all the way to like coach 12 and coach 13. So like who else is going to be implicated in this? Like the department of justice. And it's like with everything else, when the, when the government law agencies, law agencies are um, involved in something like this was a celebration for them today. This was a press conference that they held. I can't remember the, the opening statement that they made. It was something about the madness isn't just in March when it comes to, you know, it was uh, a celebration of uh, bribery and whatever. Like, yes, I mean, it's like when when you see all these, we all love like Breaking Bad and all these movies, but you always see like these officers when they make a big drug bust, they have a press conference and all the drugs are right behind them. Yeah, taking a picture with it. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 guys get promoted off of this stuff. So there's some there's someone that got really ambitious in the FBI and said, you know what? If I want a case that want, that really deserves or is going to get a lot of attention. Let's take down some NCAA basketball people. It's probably somebody that was, you know, a fan, or maybe it was maybe it was somebody that spent too much time on rivals message boards and had seen all the stuff at Kentucky. I mean, the thing that's most surprising to me is that Kentucky was not involved in this. Or at all. Baylor, like Scott oh, Drew's, like boy. he's probably calling Dave Bliss on how to bury bodies today. Stop it! Uh, Just let the man rest. Dave Bliss. Yes. Hmm. I, I'm with I don't know if we can that do one. that. I don't think you get to rest. You do some shit like that, you're you you got to burn. Okay, I'm with you. It's it's insane though. Like just reading all of the, and I guess it is because the FBI is putting all this stuff out that it's like, holy shit, this is huge. But and, then you're you're dealing also with like connecting the dots. Like okay, this Lawson guy was with Frank Martin, who uh, was with Brad Underwood. Yeah. Like what? How much did Brad Underwood do with this stuff? The, and, Something tells me that doing it? Brad like, Underwood has a lot. There's a lot more to come out on this because when you look at like the South Carolina with uh, with Boynton and then that goes down to Lamont Evans, there's I don't know it. There's something weird and and I you know I this would completely be looking into it and it's coming from an OU podcast so uh, you know it's easy to connect the dots there but maybe it it gives credence and reason why Brad Underwood got out of Stillwater so quickly. I don't know. Like, It'll be interesting. I don't think any of these guys knew that they were being investigated. Though. Yeah, that's true. Like I don't think I don't think like they're like they were waiting for the other shoe to drop because right. when it's the FBI, you don't know what's going on. I mean, yeah. they're not re- they're not interviewing coaches and interviewing I mean, oh, it's just I mean, that's big time. It's the tip of the iceberg, I think, for a lot of people. 
Kerry, the point you brought up earlier where you were saying, you know, they, what does it say that they didn't even involve the NCA? What is worse? The fact that they don't see any way the NCA is a useful source on their member institutions or the fact that they're afraid the NCA would screw up their own investigation. Oh, I think it's the latter as much as anything. I, no, I do too, but like, what is more damning of the oh, yeah. entire governing body? They're both embarrassing. Well, there's a reason that people are cheating like they are because they know they can get away with it, and the NCAA is a, a powerless entity in terms of enforcing uh, major recruiting violations. Well, and, and that's why, like you said earlier, this is a great case for an FBI agent because you know it's a bunch of coaches that were being loose and fast with all the way they were doing things because they're like, the NCAA is never going to catch us. They can't manage all of us. And, and then you and get a guy that FBI that has access to all sorts of entities, then you know it, I'm sure it wasn't that hard for them to track this stuff down. And guess what? It's institutions uh, that have compliance departments that just don't care, that don't do their job, they don't give a shit, that allowed that to happen to where all this stuff is going on, all these... Uh, arrangements are being made. What was it? I saw something. One of the people involved in this was like fired for running up like $42,000 in Uber bills on a client or something like that. One of these agents that was involved in this. If it, it's gotten to the point though, if you're a, you know, I, I guess is the, is the old term street agent for this types of stuff or a real agent, any, any type of agent runner, runner, yeah. that type of person just, Kind of a scumbag. Let's just put it out there. No, I mean it's you know it's a very it's like, shady line of business. I think it's it's I don't think it's really any different than it's ever been. And I think you would just watch He Got Game, and that's pretty much still the way that it is with Jesus Shuttlesworth. Might have to watch Blue Chips tonight just to refresh my memory on how to really break. Yeah, we were the playing rules. the Pete Bell speech this morning. <laughs> it's I watched the speech this morning. Yeah, I was watching it on YouTube that. Such an underrated movie. It, I, I think Blue Chips is hilarious and well, kind of awful all at the same time. I think a lot of people know I went kind of on my rant. I know we're, we're wrapping up here. and Josh has got to get out of here. I kind of went. I, I couldn't hold my tongue anymore. I, and I'm not bringing it to this podcast, really. Yeah, I am, I guess. But I'm, I'm not going to go on any rants on Sooner Scoop. Uh, on the radio, we talked about it this morning. Just because... It's it's been such a discussion with sports and Trump and politics and uh, you know anthem and stuff like that. And I was talking this morning, Josh. I do think this has some implications in in colleges. And I'm not talking about whether guys have the right to do this or they should do it. They shouldn't do it. Whether it's you know uh, whether it is uh, you know unpatriotic or uh, a, a you know. A horrible thing against the military. All the, no, I'm not getting into any of that. But what I'm saying, Josh, is uh, athletes all across the country, NBA, NFL. I mean, I don't know if you saw what LeBron said yesterday in his uh, press conference. I thought he was fantastic. We all know the Popovich stuff has been going on. Um, but I think the one ramification this has on colleges and college coaches is really right now, you better not, even if – look. It, I'm, I know that there are a lot of college coaches that probably voted for Donald Trump, but it's just like with Robert Kraft and Dan Gilbert with the Cavs, the owner of the Cavs, like you have to dissociate yourself from anything dealing with Trump right now. You, if, if it will cost you recruits right now, if you're seeing that's what Donald Trump did to the sports world. He has become toxic now. So like, I think in, you know, I was just thinking of it from a recruiting perspective, like, 
And we all know, we know coaches that, you know, have, have you know, OU stayed, I think, at Trump's uh, Doral when they were at the, what bowl game was that? Well, that would have been uh, college, the football college football playoff. playoff. Yeah. Like, they stayed at Trump's hotel. So, uh, we've seen coaches that, and we know, you know, which coach is kind of conservative, which are most coaches. I would say most coaches are conservative, but you have to distance yourself from any any kind of political stance uh, or or being involved at all or supporting Donald Trump right now if you're a coach. Don't you agree, oh. Josh? Oh, I absolutely would. I mean, guys, these, these are not – this is the era we live in. You know, 20 years ago, this stuff would have happened, and I don't know how much the high school kids would have noticed it because it's not on Twitter. It's not right in front of them all day, every day. Can't avoid it. They, they, they are part of it, and they get it. And, of course, when – what you know whether you want to talk about NFL or college you're talking about 80 to 85 percent of your what, what do you want to call it workforce I mean your, your players yeah your participants are black so you're going to have a huge number of people that really care about this and I don't think I have I, you know I follow literally hundreds of either players recruits whatever on Twitter and I can't think of any of them that came out and were like you know what, Donald Trump's speaking to me right now. You know, he, he's hitting my <laughs> notes. So, like, and you know, I don't mean that. I'm not trying to upset anybody politically. I'm doing. I'm trying to walk a very center line right here. But at the same time, coaches they cannot align themselves with him. They just cannot because they are going to alienate themselves from the players they seek to get into their programs. And the same with the NFL. People are like, well, why did all the owners come out with all these announcements? Because they have to go recruit free agents. Yeah, they, they need to, to be able people. to say we stood up to him. We didn't, you know, we we're on your side in this thing. And that is that maybe how they feel in their heart of hearts. Like you said, I, I would say probably not in a lot of cases. But they have to do that. And in college, I don't know that you're going to get Lincoln Riley come out and make a statement about it or anybody in the athletic department. But they sure as hell are not going to advocate for it. They are going to stay as far away from it as they can because that's the most neutral thing you can do right now because anything even you know dipping a toe towards donald trump i guarantee will hurt them in recruiting yeah because people are going to point it out and, and the other thing about it is is like you said uh you know kids keep their heads down even if they do uh trump is in their space like he's doing this all on twitter like he's saying these things where they can see it and they are seeing other athletes they're seeing lebron they're seeing uh, I, I don't know. I mean, football players, whoever they follow, I don't know who's who you'd put as the face of advocacy in the NFL on Twitter for this stuff. But I mean, even when he came, you saw all the NFL players come out and react to that. The whole sons of bitches thing like players see that on their timeline, too, because they're following the athletes. They can't ignore what's going on and what's being said. You don't want me to add in on any of this. <laughs> yeah, because Eddie's just going to attack people. Yeah, no, I, I would attack one person. And it's and they're going to take it as an attack on all of them. Well, no, I mean, he's the he's the leader of the free world. So No, no, I know who you're going at, and I'm saying the people who support who him are going to for him or support him, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't want to offend anybody. It's just, yeah. he's just, uh, he's just not presidential, I'm sorry. Unhinged triggered and i and that makes me triggered i'm triggered that he's triggered okay ratings and reviews time josh is there anything uh recruiting, recruiting notes? wise that we should hit on yeah no um 
I assume coaches. Game. I assume coaches are probably trying to get a little bit further out this I'm, weekend. I'm really excited for the game that we're going to see. Yeah, obviously, uh, I guess people don't really know. Eddie and I will be at Union and Owasso on Friday night. Get to see Pat Fields, uh, Jordan Kelly. Obviously, Union has some young talent. And, you know, we'll be there and see Josh Proctor. And we'll, you know, maybe we'll catch up with him after, see what he has to say. I, you know, I don't want to get anybody's hopes up. But that door just doesn't seem quite ready to close, in my opinion. So we'll we'll keep watching that and see what happens. But I, I think there's more note. There's more notable. How would you say that? Notability? Notable. Note- notable. A game is more notable than you would think. Um, but us, on, on Thursday night, I'll actually go see Daryl Simpson. So that kind of runs down my schedule. Uh, I get to see the big offensive line commitment from Dallas on my way up to Oklahoma. So that's uh, obviously going to be a good weekend for me. But as far as recruiting, yeah, you're going to see OU venture out. I expect, you know, uh, I think Oklahoma, I, from what I've understood, the one coach I'm pretty sure I know where he'll be is I believe Dennis Simmons is going to go down to see Jaqueline Crawford, who has missed the first five weeks of the season with uh, an injury and is now apparently going to be back and ready to go this weekend. So I ran into Simmons a couple of weeks ago seeing Travion Johnson. Now he's going to come down to South Texas and go see Jaqueline Crawford. So that's the one I'm sure of. Uh, I'll keep looking around and kind of seeing where guys are going to go. But, yeah, as you get later in the week, uh, when practices kind of die off and Oklahoma kind of lets guys go home for the weekend or whatever they've got planned, you'll see coaches getting out, not only going to games, but going and stopping by and, you know, making stops to schools and that kind of stuff and doing the, the various things they can get in. All right. Uh, I guess it's that time for uh, ratings and reviews. Although... We've, we've gotten several more reviews uh, since our last podcast. I wouldn't say they were as good as our last round of reviews, but uh, not, not bad. Uh, I, Five Iron Zack, which I assume is probably a buddy of Eddie's. Actually, I don't know. I'm kind of questioning whether that's true or not. I'm trying to get this turned down a little bit. Because um, he doesn't say anything about Eddie. So, Five Iron Zach uh, has given us five stars. He says, Good podcast. Sounds almost like a radio show. Easy to listen to. Covers most of the big sports stories at OU. Not just a fix for recruiting diehards. So, uh, thank you, Five Iron Zach. Then we have one who's... This is just We incredible. had that one last week. Did we? Okay. Well, this is the yep. only new one, then, that we have. Yep, yep. We've got one new one, I see. Yep. Uh, Natty's for Patty. Someone has actually signed up on iTunes. As natties for Patty. You can guess where this one's going to go. First and foremost, please can we keep the natties for Patty reign forever. Hashtag million dollar woman. Eddie, did you do this one? The, 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 this podcast not only gives you everything you need to know about the ins and outs of Sooner Sports, but it does a good job of... Well, I've got to expand this. It does a good job of keeping things light for any listener to enjoy. It's a podcast student's and older fans can get into. Love the last podcast about the curse of Katy Perry, but let us not also forget the 2014 was the birth of the throw the other team's ball over the north end. It was the only thing that even got students excited during the Baylor game. Heck, ESPN even did a segment on it last year about how now opposing teams have to keep an equipment manager outside the stadium to retrieve the balls. Love the talk of local Oklahoma establishments and the fact Kerry is not ashamed to be from the shady 580. <laughs> so there you go. We're up to like 115 reviews, over 105 star reviews now. 
So keep them coming, and uh, we'll uh, read your review of our show on our next podcast. Eddie does if not seem good. to be impressed at all. No, y- you've heard of DNR, did not read. That's DNL, did not listen. <laughs> it was Natty's for Patty, though. Not creative enough for you? Mm, kind of kind of lost me. I want the five-star review, and then just be hateful. Just just open up and be hateful. That, that's, I that's, agree. Uh, that doesn't that's bother me favorite. at all. That's our favorite type of that's, all. Yeah, that's, that's the way I like it. Tiff, uh, they had Tiffany Rowland last week with the late dad, uh, with you know, Pregnant with his kid wife, and yeah. all that sort of stuff. They, she even thinks it's funny when they make fun of me. So she's all for it. All right, fellas, it's the bye week. Uh, we're going to talk to Lincoln Riley today. So it is Tuesday as we're doing this podcast. Uh, we'll talk to the defense on Wednesday. So a little bit of a light week, but we'll have some stuff coming up. Hopefully, we'll find out some more on the injury front today, uh, specifically with Jordan Thompson. I think that's the one to really worry about. Uh, and then I think we're going to get good news pretty soon on Will Johnson, just repeating that. Also, want to remind you guys, uh, we do run a website that does pay the bills, Soonerscoop.com. Exciting news that uh, we've got a new sponsor coming soon. Going to go down to Dallas during the bye week and meet with our uh, new sponsor. So uh, that's good news. Very good news. Keep the lights on a little bit longer. We could buy some fancy equipment for Josh or something. So he can maybe oh. hear what we play on the podcast someday. That, yeah, I don't know that everybody out there knows I'm suffering through this, but it's it's painful all the same. No intro music. Oh, we know when we play something and then you, you inevitably, every time we'll play something and then you will come up with uh, your own performance art of what was said in the clip that we played. Like, we don't <laughs> set this up. It was just like, today... The, the, you tried to do your performance art of what was said on the TV broadcast when it was the very first thing that we played on the show today, which is fantastic. And I love that could be part of the drinking game, actually. I think say we're all annoyed about it, but I bet you they found, everybody listening actually found it quite funny. Yeah, they're 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 sitting at home going, "Yeah, Josh, we we heard that already. Where were you? Yeah. So you're an idiot. Turn up your you know headphones. <laughs> they don't realize I can't hear. I don't know." So, yeah, we're working on getting that fixed. Hopefully, sponsorship will, uh, uh, we might put some money towards that. So, uh, exciting news to come. But, yeah, we do have a website, Soonerscoop.com. Uh, go subscribe. Get on the message boards. Uh, chat with us. We'll tell you anything that you want to know. Give you practice updates. Uh, you get video interviews right after the game is over from Eddie so you can see what's being said in the locker room. Uh, you can hear and, and see what's being said. Uh, post-game interviews, all that stuff. Uh, lots of great content, recruiting, visit updates, trackers, all that stuff, if you're a member of Soonerscoop.com. So uh, we promise it's it's worth the $9.99. Uh, you know, have thousands of subscribers. Everybody really enjoys it. Uh, so if you're not a part of it, we'd love to have you. Join us at Soonerscoop.com. All right, that's going to do it for this edition of the Unofficial 40. We think Josh, who's probably off to swim class with Laney. Uh, Eddie, thank you very much mm-hmm. uh, for joining us as well. And uh, I'm Kerry Murdoch. Until next time, we'll see you guys later here on the Unofficial 40. Podcasts from Soonerscoop.com.